Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're listening to the FT Money Show from Investors Chronicle and FT Money. Hello and welcome to the FT Money Show. In today's programme, is it time to reinvest in the US as the dollar rebounds and the oil price retreats? How safe is your credit card when you head for the sun? And we have some good news and bad news about cheaper remortgage deals. I'm Matthew Vincent and I'm going to be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with the help of my colleagues from FT Money, Ellen Kelleher. Hello. And Elaine Moore. Hello. So let's start with the money news. Last week, after almost three years of decline, the US dollar bounced back to hit a six-month high against the euro and a 21-month high of $1.90 against the pound. Until recently, though, the US stock market has been closely tracking the declining dollar, underperforming the rest of the world's markets since around 2000. So, Ellen, with US uh, share indices now around 7% ahead of developed world stock markets, has the tide finally turned? Well, I think that's questionable. Fund managers are still quite skeptical about the strength of the U.S. economy, and so are financial advisors. As one financial advisor, Mick Gilligan, who's the head of research at Killick & Co., put it to me, U.S. equities right now are the best of a very bad lot. But if the U.S. is the best of a bad lot, do you think investors are going to take their money out of, say, Europe or the U.K. or even emerging markets and start to, to bring it back into the U.S. and deliver a bit of a a fillip to, to U.S. share prices. Yes, I think that's that's starting to happen, and that's one of the reasons why the U.S. equities are up compared to other markets. There's this, there have been more fears recently about the state of the European economy as well as emerging markets, and the U.S. market is, is a bit of a safety net for investors. This must be the first time in a long time, though, that the U.S. could be called a safety net. Yes. The dollar has been weak for such a long period of time, and it was sort of a underscored investors' pessimistic view of the U.S. economy, and there's a sense that it will be the first to emerge from the recession. I think investors are voting with their feet on that. So if you are an investor looking at the U.S. market, are there any particular sectors that are now offering good value? You have to just be very, very careful about looking at sectors, because there are a lot of, most of them are bombed out. But if you are going to pick sectors, you should 
turn to healthcare and technology. I mean, you have a lot of innovative companies in both of these areas in the U.S. Like you have Monsanto, which is this company that's man- manufacturing genetically modified food, and they're taking the cholesterol out of soybeans. And and you have this company Covance, which is testing, you know, responsible for all of this testing of new drugs on the market and they have big contracts with the big pharma companies so that they're doing very well and then you have in the technology you know sector you have you know the steady earners you have microsoft uh, which if you can afford it is still a great uh, stock to have in your portfolio and apple of course which is you know the maker of the iphone and the next one has come out now hasn't it yeah the 3g yeah. iphone yeah but the flip side of this of course is if you want to buy your iphone or ipod in the States, it's going to be less of a bargain now because of the exchange rate between the pound and the dollar. So it's good news for investors, but, but bad news for poor holidaymakers planning to go to New York for cheap shopping trips. Yes, we'll be quite so cheap this Christmas by the sounds of it. Um, well, uh, thanks for that, Ellen and uh, Elaine. If you'd like to know more about the US stocks that are now looking like good value, you can read FT Money in this weekend's FT or go online at ft.com forward slash money. You can also send in your questions for us to answer by emailing us at ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. Still to come, the good news and bad news about further cuts to mortgage rates. But first, having just discussed the American economy, here's another transatlantic question. What links the US to a police raid in Birmingham? Well, earlier this week came news that the police had raided a counterfeit credit card factory in the Midlands, where they found the equipment needed to steal card details and make counterfeit cards on a massive scale, including some stolen chip and pin terminals. So earlier, Elaine asked Mark Bowerman of APAX, the UK Payments Association, what exactly the criminals were trying to do. Well, what the criminals were doing, it was a counterfeit card factory and they were attempting to make fake magnetic stripe cards. But the way that they were getting hold of these details is a variation on, on what the way that they were previously doing this. They're actually stealing chip and pin terminals from retailers, tampering with those terminals, and then reintroducing them back into, uh, back into shops, back into the live environment, with the aim of stealing magnetic stripe details and pins. They would then take that information to create a fake magnetic stripe card they wouldn't be able to use that card in the UK because we have chip and pin but they would be able to use them overseas in countries that don't have chip and pin so they're sending the details abroad to countries like like where is it the US yes the US is becoming more and more the uh, the center of this type of fraud which is called fraud abroad because they don't have chip and pin but certainly you know any country that doesn't have chip and pin is a potential target for this type of fraud spend so what's generally happening is that people finding that some money's been taken out of their account that's right yes the uh, the, the cardholder will get their statement and there'll be transactions on there that obviously they don't recognize from countries they possibly have never ever been to and that may be shop transactions or if they're criminals have managed to get hold of the uh, cardholder's pin at the time of the compromise, then of course they could use those fake magnetic stripe cards in that country's cash machines and withdraw cash. And how much is typically being taken out of people's accounts? The, the typical fraud is about six to seven hundred pounds. It's a lot, isn't it? Is it typically coming out in one go or is it being siphoned off? 
piece by piece. Obviously, if they're using cash machines, there may be a, a daily limit that they can use on the cards, but they'll tend to use the uh, cards as quickly as possible to maximise their fraudulent spends before the bank or the cardholder notices. Because the banks are being quite proactive about this, aren't they? They know that this is happening and they're trying to put stops in place. Well, that's right, yes. The banks have intelligent fraud detection systems and they are looking for unusual spending patterns. And obviously, if you never or rarely go abroad and uh, make transactions, then that's going to flag up on the bank system. What they will then do is, is block the card and try and contact you to ascertain whether it's actually you making these transactions. Because I think I had this... My card was used to buy an iron in the United States. It cost about £130, and I think the bank knew that I would never spend that much on an iron. Yeah, well, no, it's a good system, and it does prevent a a lot of fraud. What the bank will do when they spot a transaction of this nature will be to contact you and find out whether it's actually you making the transaction or not. Obviously, if it isn't you, then the card will stay blocked. But if it is, then they'll unblock the card, and you can carry on using it. Because that might be quite annoying, mightn't it? Say I am in America, and I do decide to suddenly splash out, and it's an unusual transaction and my card gets blocked. You should always have with you your bank's 24-hour contact telephone details. So if this does happen to you, you can ring them and say, hey, hold on a minute, this is actually me using my card overseas. And similarly, it's a good idea to make sure your bank has up-to-date contact details for you, and that could be a mobile telephone number if you're going overseas, so that they can proactively contact you if they need to. Because it feels a bit Big Brotherish in a way that your bank is keeping such a close eye on how you spend your money and it's your money. But it's a fine line between introducing a system that is going to stop the fraudsters but is also a system that looks after customers and looks after customers' money. Because it's not insignificant amounts of money that we're talking about in this fraud abroad no, case, is l- it? No, last year fraud abroad on UK-issued cards totaled £207.6 million and that was a 77% increase on the year before. So this is a type of fraud that is increasing and, and becoming more attractive to the fraudsters. But that £207 million, that's being picked up by the banks in general, isn't it? That's right, yes. We are lucky in the UK that we have unique protection through the banking code. And what that says is that if you're the innocent victim of card fraud, you will get your money back from the bank. So, you know, if your bank has detected fraud on your account or you spot it when you get your card statement through the post and you've contacted your bank, there'll be an investigation. Each bank has their own fraud investigation team. But if you're an innocent victim of fraud, you'll get your money back. Elaine, you were talking to Mark Bauman of Apex there. Now, you've been a victim of uh, card fraud abroad uh, with a fraudulent purchase of the iron, uh, and I've been a victim as well, although not with an iron, much as I could do the one. Um, Do you think that there is enough protection in place for cardholders against this sort of thing? It's difficult, isn't it? The banks would say yes, and they're trying very, very hard to stop fraud by having specific teams in place to track what your card is doing and to try and put stops on it if they think something unusual happens to it. But the fact is, whatever they say, is that fraud on cards has gone up by about £100 million in the last three or four years. So this is a huge increase and it's a huge problem. Do you think there's too much onus on the 
cardholder to take responsibility. I mean, Mark was saying you should phone up your bank and say where you're going and things like that. Give them up-to-date details and things. And they do say that you should try and be very careful about not letting anyone see your PIN number when you're putting your, getting cash out of a machine or anything. But the banks are pretty good about giving you the money back. You're covered under the banking code, which means that if you are a victim of fraud, you will get the money back. And generally, from what we've heard and what you and I, I think, have experienced, you do get the money back. But it does take a little while. And we've also heard cases where, although the banks are supposed to pay you back the interest on the money that's been taken out that you've lost out on, they're not doing that unless you go and specifically ask them for it. So it is down to the, to the customer who's it lost is. money to claim the interest back. The US apparently don't want to use chip and pin because it doesn't cover internet payments, which is a very good point. That's where a lot of fraud is happening now, over the internet and abroad. And they're saying that chip and pin, I mean, if you have all the details, you just have to put in your account number and you can still buy something from Amazon. You don't need your chip and pin details. So the US want to come out with a system that covers everything. What that system will be, nobody knows. What we could do with it uh, pretty soon by the sounds of it. And if you'd like to know more about protecting against fraud abroad, look out for Elaine's article in this weekend's FT. And finally today, we have some good news and bad news on mortgage rates. Elaine, this week we saw more reductions in mortgage rates. Uh, Yorkshire Building Society, Halifax announcing lower transfer rates for customers coming off their fixed rate deals. And Northern Rock and Lloyd's TSB made interest rate cuts earlier in the week. So surely this is the good news that we've all been waiting for. It sounds like it, doesn't it? And it is, in a way. I mean, rates in the last month, rates have come down on average by a quarter of a percent for two-year fixed mortgages, which is fantastic news for first-time buyers, for people coming up to remortgage. But the sting in the tail is that while rates have come down, fees have on average gone up by £100 in the last month. So they've, there's been a direct correlation. I suppose if you're coming off a two-year fixed-rate mortgage, so you took it out August 2006, the fee increase probably looks even greater, doesn't it? It does. Actually, in the last two years, we can see that fees have come up. They've basically doubled over two year, over a two-year period. And that's because about two years ago, the banks started rearranging how they were going to organise the payment for mortgages. So they were trying to get onto the Best Buy tables by taking their rates right down and pushing the fees right up. And while the rates have sort of stayed up, the fees have stayed up as well. They haven't brought those down by anything like as much as they pushed them up in the first place. Yeah, it's funny that they should leave the fees at, uh, at the high level. Who would have thought it? Um, is there a simple way for anyone who's looking to remortgage now to know what the cheapest overall deal combining mortgage rate and fee it's very, very difficult. The Best Buy tables will go on rate, so you can look at the rate. And that will, if you're going on to a fixed rate deal, that's good for affordability. If you want to know exactly how much your outgoings are going to be month by month, which is very important at the moment with inflation, food prices going up, energy costs coming up, you maybe want to know what you're going to have to pay on your mortgage. But you just need to factor in where the fee is going to come in, and they will vary depending on what level of deposit or equity you have. Obviously, the greater level of equity, the less the fee, the less the rate. So you just basically check every element of your mortgage costs to work out your overall outgoing. Just finally, I'm sure everyone listening wants to know where we think mortgage interest rates are going to go in the next few months. Are they going to stay where they are or further cuts? Possibly some quite good news. The Bank of England held interest rates at 5%, but what's happening is that the markets are pricing in the possibility of further rate cuts in the not-too-distant future. So that will mean trackers will come down, fixed rates are expected to come down. So if you don't have to remortgage just yet, 
it could be quite good news in the future. But don't expect a lower fee anytime soon. Well, you can read all about the very latest mortgage rate cuts and those fee increases in FT Money this weekend. And that's all we have time for in this week's FT Money show. Do remember that you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. And we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Ellen Daniel. Goodbye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.